Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, Dr. Jeremy McCullough here. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Today's episode, not all, not our typical content, but I wanted to give you an idea of why I think this is good for all of us. We have Ryan French on. He's the man behind Monday Q Info on Twitter. Very popular account. If you guys haven't followed it, go follow him because he's got amazing stories. Stories from the Monday qualifiers in order to get into PGA Tour events. All these other events that are happening. Golfers trying to take that next step. Trying to play under par and get to the point where they get to live under par. I know I really enjoyed this conversation just to get a better understanding of what these guys have to go through in order to up their potential and improve their performance. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeremy McCullough here with a guest, Ryan French. You may recognize the Monday Q Info, a very popular Twitter page there, and he's also a contributor on PGATour.com, where he covers... Pretty much anything Monday qualifiers, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, a one trick pony, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. So, well, Ryan, thank you so much for being here, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guy. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate it, and uh, happy to be here. So, I ask all my guests this: kind of, what got you into golf, or what's your golf, you know, story? Yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, my family. I mean, my all my family's golfers are when uh, I was a kid backyard was it was a golf course. So it was pretty natural. Um, I always tell a weird thing about my family is uh, our TV. I was about six years old and our TV started on fire actually. And uh, we just never got it fixed. It's not that we were against TV or whatever. We just kind of like, Oh, we'll get one next week, next week. And then it, it turned into uh, I never had a TV in my childhood. So I was pretty bored and uh, had a golf course in the backyard. So uh, played a ton of golf. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, my, my wife's a a little anti TV we'll say, but, um, and so we only have one TV. There's not any more TV, you know, one TV that allows us to get some uh, Disney movies or whatever for the littles and, and whatnot to enter, give a little peace of mind here and there. Right. Right. That's pretty cool. So, well then, what what started your uh, interest in the Monday qualifiers? Yeah, it's kind of. Uh, I'll try to keep it as short as possible. Um, I after college, my dad and I would do a trip. I played college golf, and then after college, I mean, I was not good enough to even consider playing pro golf. So uh, after college, um, my dad and I would take a yearly trip and go caddy on a mini tour. So that was our like guys trip together. My parents still live in northern Michigan at that time. I was living in southern Michigan, so it was kind of like a trip my dad and I took for a week and uh, started on the Canadian tour, did the Hooters tour, did the NGA tour, Hopkins tour. It was a really cool trip. 
Um, my dad's older now, and obviously we don't do it anymore. But we did that for like uh, 10 years. And so from there, I just met a bunch of guys and just stayed in touch with them. Was lucky enough. I never caddied full time, but guys would call me and say, hey, I need to caddy for Q school. I was lucky enough to do Q school a couple times. Uh, I did a couple of corn, what now was the corn ferry. It was nationwide or web at that time. Uh, done, I've done a couple of those, did one recently. Um, and so I've just always been interested. So fast forward many years, uh, I was in the restaurant business and I kind of say like, a, a lot of coincidences happened. So, uh, my son had brain surgery. Uh, we lost our long-term nanny. She got a full-time job at that same relatively same time and the restaurant group that I was running actually went bankrupt. So I was going to just take some time off and look for a job and get my son back to health. And the plan was I would take a couple months off and we would look for a nanny and take our time and find the job that fits for me and all those things that, that we wanted. Uh, here we are three years later, I have not gone back to work. So never in a million billion years would I think that it's to this point uh, 40,000 or whatever I have 40,500 followers is I, I mean I tweeted it out when I went over 40 it's about 39,900 more than I thought it was really something for me to do so I didn't have to watch cartoons all day yeah yeah something to, to, to time during I mean I imagine a very stressful period in life yeah it uh, was literally just to kind of take my mind off things and it's exploded and it's it's been an amazing great appreciative of everything that's come from it yeah i love it when uh people can make you know make something work that they just love doing i mean i think that's one of the things in in life that we don't do enough with our kids is helping them to really find something that they'd like to do and how they can potentially make money out of it rather than just pushing hey you gotta go to school you gotta go to school you gotta get good grades you gotta get grades go to college go to college and all this stuff yeah i mean on a non-golf related related note it's like i I love, I was fine with the restaurant business. I liked it. Um, but there's definitely some value in doing something that you love every day. Uh, I definitely don't make very much money at all doing this. Um, but there's definitely a lot of value in doing something you love. I'm happier, makes my family happier. And so, yeah, I say that to people all the time is, uh, I wish I would have realized it a long time prior to that. I don't think anything would have worked out differently. Again, I was, fine and content in the restaurant business. Uh, I didn't hate my job by any means, but to wake up every day and be able to do something you love and have your dreams come true to the fact that I write for the PJ tour is just mind boggling. I looked at my byline the other day. Uh, it's crazy to see my name on there. So yeah, there's a lot of value in, in doing something you love for sure. Yeah. I mean, and I imagine the, the stories that you get to hear and you cover just brings so much um, joy and, um, it, it just amazes me the good things. Like, I I follow you. I I like reading your stuff uh, on Twitter and and also on pjtour.com when I see it. And you know, many times have I have I come across and go, "Hey, there are some there's some good in the world. There's some good out there." And it's great to hear those stories. So thank you so much for for covering those stories. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, as the world has got more divided, I've really tried to angle it towards more of, you know some positive I, I try to give an honest opinion of what pro golf looks for a lot of guys and some of that is negative but i've really tried to make it more positive as the world gets more divisive 
and that's that's awesome. So, yes, when did you kind of first see? You know, you went through this very stressful period. You kind of started just doing this for fun and stress relief. And when did you kind of first see that? Hey, there's actually some value. There's people actually like what I'm doing. Yeah, I always use a couple moments um, as like this might be something. Uh, one is, uh, Andy from the fried egg, who's, who does an amazing job for those that don't know, he does focuses on architecture and, uh, has a very popular podcast called the shotgun start. And, um, Andy asked me on his podcast, you know, I mean, Andy had, I, mean, I don't know what he has now. He's very popular. I think he had 40 or 45,000 at the time and asked me on his podcast. And that was like, Whoa, you know, I, I really, obviously I knew from the number of followers was going up, but you really don't have an idea when you have no, you had no intention of this becoming something. You have no idea what your reach is. And so uh, he asked me on his podcast, he lives in Chicago area where I do. So I went over and met him and that was a big one. And then I always use the tour. The tour started following me around my 10,000 follower and that was definitely the biggest wake up call. Uh, they don't follow many people. I think they follow like 900 or something like that. Um, and that was like, Whoa, people are, people are definitely starting to take notice. If the tour is taking notice, um, then obviously I have some sort of reach. Uh, but again, it, it happens all the time. Uh, and I hope that it never wears off. I, I still feel like it's so cool to hear my name or hear that my information used. I mean, Craig Perks has been become a, I mean, the fact that I have Craig Perks's number in my cell phone and we text somewhat regularly is crazy. Like it just like boggles my mind. Uh, he said a couple of very nice things on golf channel the other day about a story. Jay McClune was great. And, and I, I hope it never wears off. It certainly didn't wear off then. I took a video of it like I'm 14 years old and you can hear my wife in the background, you know, saying yes. So there's been so many cool moments. Uh, I say the same thing all the time. Jeremy is like, if someone said at the beginning of this account, what's the craziest thing that's going to happen? None of the things that have happened, I would have listed because they would have been beyond what I've ever thought would ha actually happen. Yeah. That, that's just great. That's awesome. And it shows you, you know, the you know the great content that you're putting out there you know getting all these great stories and, and whatnot and so speaking of those stories i'd love to hear just a little bit about some of those amazing stories that you you've shared or that you maybe even haven't shared i don't know um but that kind of stand out to you because we talk about golf and golf is so much about the history and about the stories and just creating relationships and so i'd love just to kind of get some of the ones that you know maybe you stand out to you or or that, that have stuck into your brain a little bit yeah uh i mean it's really hard to top last week's jay McClune story um you know people ask me this question of, of what's my favorite i have i mean i've become what i call twitter friends with a lot of guys so like chip mcdaniel's like run through the monday qualifiers was awesome um but jay McClune, for those that don't know or didn't read my article um perfectly healthy or th so he thought sitting watching cartoons with his kid goes into cardiac arrest his heart stops wife calls 911 
they come, they revive him. On the way to the hospital, dies again. They paddled him seven times, uh, save his life. He Monday qualified last week. And I said in my tweet, if that was just, that would be an amazing story. But it's half the story. So last May, he owns a piece of property. His brush hog had some problems. They put it up on a hydraulic jack. Him and his wife were underneath of it. The hydraulic jack gave way. Him and his wife were trapped underneath of it. Uh, they had to call their five-year-old daughter over who had to run to the neighbors. Obviously, they live in the country, so the neighbor's not close. The neighbor comes with a tractor, lifts the brush hog off of them. His wife is now, heart has stopped, is essentially dead. Give her CPR, revive her. Uh, I mean, it, I I say it all the time. It's like, I don't know how to top the next story. I've said it a lot. I don't know how to top that one. That one is, uh, that's pretty unbelievable that a husband and wife have essentially died. I mean, they did die by technical terms and were revived and he Monday qualified for an event and made the cut last week. So uh, that's definitely has, has taken the lead as my favorite. Yeah, no, I read that story and, and that, that is amazing. And, and to think, you know, when, when you go into a rest or your heart stops, it's a matter of seconds, not even minutes and how important it is to kind of get things jumping started and whatnot. So it's amazing. <laughs> Truly. It really is. Is. You mentioned, you know, you started this in kind of stress relief and, and you, you didn't really have a vision for where you wanted to go. Now you're three years in what's, what's kind of the goal or what's the endeavor from here? I mean, I wish I always, I always say it's like, I wish, uh, I mean, in hindsight, had I known this some, I would have had some sort of plan. But my plan is really day-to-day. Uh, I mean, I hope I start a YouTube channel. I hope I can do a documentary right one day. I hope I can help a guy write a book or write a book myself. But those all to me still seem like pretty pie-in-the-sky type things. Uh, I think the most the most realistic is probably a YouTube channel with guys that like follow along and kind of just give more insight. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, podcasts is is kind of like trying to get off that off the ground right now and then probably move to YouTube. And I've been approached by companies about a documentary, so we'll see. Um, I would love to do one. It, it's awesome. I think it would be great for people to get behind the scenes of, of what these guys and, and girls uh, go through. And, uh, yeah, I mean, right now it's just grind on the podcast scene, keep telling stories, keep writing for the tour and, and we'll kind of see where it goes from here. Well, I'm going to go ahead and just plug your, your podcast for those that are interested. Um, I know I'm going to check them out and, and, and give a listen, but why don't you tell us about, you said you had two, right? Yeah. Um, the, uh, the first one's called uh, any given Monday more of a traditional podcast uh, interviews with guys and girls that men and women that are out there chasing it. And then uh, chasing status is with Neil, Neil Johnson's Neil's Neil's played professional golf for 15 years and uh, just kind of gives behind the scenes of what these guys go through, how they make it work, money, sponsors, caddies, tournaments, events, all those kind of things. Yeah. And so, I'd actually be interested in maybe just learning a little bit more about 
what goes on behind the scenes there with, with a lot of these guys as they're trying to get to that. Obviously, the, the end goal is the PGA Tour, um, but there's a lot of different mini tours you go through to kind of get, get in there and to get, and get to the, you know, get to the Corn Ferry Tour just to have your opportunity. So can you kind of briefly touch on some of that? Yeah. I mean, I, from a financial standpoint, I think that people, I mean, understandably, because it's on TV all the time and, and it's obviously what's reported all the time is, you know, people on the PGA Tour, at least in the top 75 or so, do have a lot of money. It's, you know, they're going to make a million dollars or more, obviously in the top 10 multi-millions. If you get into the FedEx Cup points, you're talking tens of millions. Um, so I think that that perception is that a lot of people have um, money. So uh, the, the fact is a lot of those guys have gone through times where they didn't have money. Uh, I use a Kyle Thompson uh, quote. Kyle is the second all-time winningest player on the Corn Ferry, what is now the Corn Ferry Tour. He has six wins, has since retired. Um, but he had a great quote that I think gives some great uh great insight into what guys on the corn ferry do. I mean, he was 50th on the money list and he said, I walked into a seven 11 and I know that the cashier is making more money than me. And so this guy is one step away from the PGA tour and he wasn't making any money. So, you know, I think that's what's resonated Jeremy with the account is that it's kind of humanized golf. We think of it as such an elitist sport. We think of it as private jets and courtesy cars and, free meals and free equipment, um, you know, and it's, and it's anything but for 90% of pro golfers, even the guys on the PJ tour that are way down there and are bouncing back and forth, pay a caddy, you pay an agent, you pay your own travel fees. You don't get anything from sponsorship really. And of course the years they're on the PJ tour, they're making a comfortable living, but it's such a small window and, and those kind of things. So, yeah, the mini tour grind is brutal. No one makes money. Uh, most of the guys that don't come from family money have some sort of sponsor that gives them. And when I say sponsor, it's not like club or it's a financial sponsor. Generally, people back at the club who give them, let's say, $50,000 a year. And they, the people who invested the money get most of the, the earnings back. Um but there just isn't a lot of money in pro golf outside of the PGA tour. Uh, guys on the corn Ferry tour aren't making a living. Most of the guys, if they don't come from family money, have some sort of sponsor out there. Um, you know, I, I use Jared Wolf as an example. Jared Wolf has won twice and obviously he's fine now, but he's had a, a sponsor this entire year because he has a kid and a wife and he's not making much money at the end of the story. So, yeah, I, I think that's what's resonated with the with the account is it's kind of pulled back the curtain on pro golf outside of the tour. Yeah, no, it definitely has. You know, I I, I was always one that you know look at. Oh yeah, if you get to the you play some professional golf and you see some like the career winnings earnings and they're easily in the millions of dollars even for the guys that are ranked one fifty kind of a thing and you're like oh shoot that's pretty pretty easy but those guys that are Balancing back and forth, like you said, and the struggle is real, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I use Steve Wheatcroft as a as another example. Steve has since retired and is selling, I think, insurance. Doesn't matter. 
he's doing something. And last year he said, you know, I have a family of, he has three kids, I believe. Um, and he was playing on the corn Ferry tour last year and said, if I don't get back to the PGA tour this year, he was done. And he is, um, you know, he said with my mortgage and bills, I think he was 28th or 29th on the money list at this time when I talked to him and he's like, I'm 50 grand in debt, you know, for the year he has, he's had money prior. He's like, but he's like, that's no way to live. That's he's like, of course I've earned money and I have more money than most people do. He's like, but I can't continue to lose $50,000 a year uh, chasing this. You know, he's like, I can just go home and sell insurance or, whatever to make ends meet. So I think a lot of people just don't see that side of it. They see a big giant number and uh, you know, they see $2 million and guys been on the road for 10 years. You know, most guys use an entire year on the PGA tour traveling and those kind of things about 55 or $60,000 a year just to travel. So now you're, you know, do that 10 years there's 600 grand of your $4 million in earnings gone. That's before taxes, caddies, agents, all that kind of stuff. It just, that big number shrinks pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I saw, and somebody was posting, uh, this was actually, uh, I think it was football and, you know, a thousand dollar salary or whatever, but like 126 was in taxes. And then it was like 40,000 to, the players association or something like that. And then it was like a $10,000 signing bonus. So I was like, Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I think we, we don't, we don't realize, you know, how quickly some of that, that can go away. And, you know, especially in golf where you've got the travel expenses and whatnot. And you just said, you know, the, that's more than the average American salary. They're just paying just for travel and, and, and housing, I imagine. So that doesn't even probably even, take into like food and yeah and i mean i i say all the time is there's not a sport besides i think i mean tennis is probably the most other uh, comparable one is it's the only sport that when you don't perform you're in the hole um obviously over a long period in any sport you have to perform but the guy who goes 0 for 4 in baseball still collects a paycheck or he goes 0 for 16 now obviously if he continues to go 0 for 16, then that's going to affect his paycheck. But if you go, if you're the best golfer in the world and you go shoot 74, 74 and miss the cut, the fact is you have to pay your caddy. You've paid to be there. You've paid for a hotel room. Uh, you've paid your agent. And so, you know, for a, on the PGA tour, if you go to a nice hotel and you pay your caddy, what a pretty standard is you're, you're six or seven thousand dollars in the hole for a week, and there's just no sport like it. Uh, you know, you can you can beat half the field and be seven grand in the hole. That's just the way it is, and so it's definitely and and that is, I mean, that that's on the PGA Tour on the mini tours. You you pay an entry fee of nine hundred to twelve hundred dollars. You live you stay in a crappy hotel. You rent a car. And hell, even if you make the cut, you're, you're not making a lot of money. So uh, it's just, it's a, it's a tough life. And I say it all the time. Jeremy's like, I didn't, I didn't start this account for people to feel sorry for these people. That's not the intention of the account. They've chosen to do this. They're chasing their dream. And at the end of the day, they get to play golf for a living. And that's, that's wonderful. 
I'm just trying to give an honest perception of what pro golf looks like. It is not all like we're all going to drive in luxury cars and those kind of things. Obviously, they could go get a club pro job and live semi-comfortably for the rest of their life. So I'm not asking people to feel sorry for them at all. That's not it. I'm just trying to give a perception, an honest look at what pro golf looks like. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it is, you know, mind-opening or uh, eye-opening and it's mind-boggling kind of the stories that I see and hear. And, and so you mentioned, you know, financial being such a – probably the hardest part about it obviously playing good golf is hard but um that financial aspect being such a hard time is there how do most of them get their 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 sponsors their financial sponsors for these things yeah i mean there's a wide variety but i'll kind of narrow it down to what most guys do one is they have someone who's very wealthy at their club and they support them you know by themselves and what most guys do is they give 65% or 75%. It depends of what they earn back. And then each contract is different. Sometimes that person say that player gets to the PGA tour, then the player would, would pay back the person in some sort of multiplier. And then that ends a relationship. So say a guy gave a hundred thousand, they would have some sort of multiplier, usually around three. So, the player, if he became a millionaire and did well in the PGA Tour, would pay the guy back 300000 and that would end the relationship. Some people have a piece of the player forever. You know, It's 5% of your earnings for the rest of your career, whatever. A lot of guys are in, are, are in the position of uh, they need money, so they, they sell themselves, you know? Uh, what the most is, is guys that get funded by players at the club, generally the players at the club just want to help the guy. They're not doing it to get rich. And if they're funding players to get rich, they're in the wrong business because 95% of these, 97% of these guys will never make it. So most of them are in the business of helping a guy out. A lot of guys sell shares in themselves, whether that's a thousand dollars or whatever, um, you know, and they sell 40, 40 shares and, and guys get 40 grand and then play out of there. And if, when they run out of money, they go back and try to sell more of their shares or go back to the same people that are done. So, yeah, I mean, a mini tour season, if you're going to play decent mini tours and play a decent amount, you're talking about 60 grand uh, just to tee it up in those events. So, you know, uh, no matter how if you're relatively wealthy, 60 grand is, is more, you know, there's plenty of families out there who have money. Like if you have to do 60 grand over and over and over again, eventually you're like, okay, that's it. And yeah, money, money stops more players than talent does for sure. Definitely some guys get out there and they're like, oh shit, these guys are way, way better than me. Um, But there's also plenty of very talented guys who could have eventually played on the PGA tour or are sitting in some sort of office right now because they ran out of money. Yeah. I mean, we see on those on the talent aspects, you know, I see your reportings or when I, when I go and look at some of the qualifiers and you're seeing guys are shooting like 62, 63 and not just one guy, like five or six guys. And so yeah. there's definitely I mean, a lot of talent out there. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think 
the real core of the of the account is two two main points is one that pro golf is not as glamorous as people think and two is how good these guys are uh you know i always compare it to the best guy at most people's clubs of course there's clubs in the world where there's a very good very very good player that could maybe go pro but 98 percent of clubs don't have a person who's room has a remote chance of ever playing pro golf um first time i ever caddied and i had played college golf so i, I kind of knew but I went to the Canadian tour. This is before it was related to the PJ tour. This is just a mini tour at that time. It's a very good one. But I mean, you're talking three or four rungs below the PJ tour. Caddy for a Canadian guy named Ryan Yip and went out for a practice round. I mean, he shot the easiest 66 I've ever seen on not a very easy golf course. And it's just like the difference between a very good club pro and any pro golfer. Of course, there's guys in the mini tour that have no business being there. But if you take a good mini tour pro, they are just so much better than anyone. To to be able to go out and shoot 63, the last eight Corn Ferry qualifiers, there's been a combined 20 guys that have shot 64 and not gotten into an event. So, and everyone says, oh, it's a pitch and putt course or it's short. Just, I always tell people, take the best player at your club. Go play the white tees. Don't play the black the black tees. Go play the the one forward and let me know how many 64s he shoots routinely. Um, you know, I just talked to I just talked to a player who shot 65 five out of eleven Monday qualifiers and has got into none of those events. Wow. So that that is eye opening. You you shoot sixty-five five times and not get into an event, uh, I don't care how easy the golf courses are. It's it, That's a ridiculous stat. Yeah, no, that is pretty crazy. Um, you sit there and go, half, almost half the time, he's shooting five, seven yeah. or par, depending on the course, and and doesn't even get in the qualifier. So, well, well, Ryan, thank you so much. We want to honor your, honor your time here. we got some wrap-up questions. Before we get into those, what's what's up next for you? you know, what, what's on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, I'll uh, I'll continue to like kind of tell some stories. I hopefully will be at some events. Uh, obviously, Corona has, has slowed that down. I was hoping to be at more events this year. So hopefully, in twenty twenty one, I'll be at some more Monday qualifiers and and do some more on site content and uh, hopefully continue to write for the tour and go from there. Awesome, cool. Um, are they still limiting? you know, I guess in your case, press, um, yes. at these events. Yeah. I, it's kind of weird to hear myself amongst press, but yes, uh, most uh, I've tried to get, it, it's an unfortunate part. I've relied on people to fans, uh, of the area or members of the club at the Monday qualifier to give me information and now they're limiting that. So it's kind of hard, but, um, yeah, they have no fans and no, uh press at any money qualifiers at least till the end of the year which i understand uh obviously it's frustrating from a content perspective but understand it from uh from a keeping everybody as safe as possible the last thing that people want to do is monday qualifier qualify have the chance of a lifetime then test positive for for covid and not be able to play the event so 
Um, yeah, it. I understand it. It stinks, but much bigger problems in the world than than that. So, yeah, hopefully in twenty twenty one we're we're living a more normal life, and I'm at Monday qualifiers more often. Sounds good. So, questions that I ask everybody that comes on here: What's your favorite golf memory? Uh, I mean, it's probably changed. Uh, I think when I was, you know, like I just played Butler national was lucky enough to play Butler national. That's awesome. But, uh, used to play all the time with my grandpa, my brother, my dad and I as a foursome and just not any other sport in the world that, that you can do that. Um, I probably didn't appreciate it enough when I was 14 or 15 and we were doing that, but looking back, that's probably my favorite golf memory playing with three generations of, of, of players in the same foursome. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, what is your favorite exercise or drill to improve your personal game? You know, this is funny, Jeremy. I don't, I have two young kids, one who has some health issues and I wish I played <laughs> played more often. Uh, I play maybe 10 times a year. I know everyone's like, Oh, you must play all the time. I really don't. I wish I did. Um, you know, I, I'll tell everyone, go work on your short game. If you, I can't. So when I do have time to practice, it's from a hundred yards and in. I rarely take my uh, full golf bag, take my wedges and putter and uh, work on a hundred yards in. That's, that's where the game is made. All right. Very cool. Yeah. I get that same, same response. I'm like, yeah, I might get out, you know, 10 right. times a year at, at best. Um, yeah. No, love the game, but I work in the game too. So you gotta <laughs> provide. Yeah. I mean, uh, I hope I go the route of my dad. My dad was a very good golfer and then had kids and, you know, did the same thing, played five times a year. And then when his kids got old enough to join him on the golf course, he got to play all the time. So my kids are really young, five and seven. So hopefully when they're eight and nine and we can go, you know, it's hard to take five hours or even two hours to go play nine away from your family these days. So when I can do it with my kids, It'll be a little bit easier. So hopefully we go that route. Yeah, I'm waiting for that too. Uh, what's one takeaway that you would like listeners to, to you know, remember from today's conversation? Yeah, I think I think it's just that that there's a different side of pro golf than the one that's shown on TV. Um, big checks and big trophies and private jets is is not what a large portion of pro golfers go through. So. Um, yeah, that that would be my takeaway. Is is there's a lot of guys who are sleeping in cars and play, sleeping in crappy hotels and on buddies' couches in order to to try to get to where pro golf that people see is. Yeah. All right. And who can you give me one name of somebody I could get on the podcast? Yeah, um, Mark Anguiano. Mark Anguiano is. Uh, is often a player that I always say is, is going to be, uh, you know, is the best player who hasn't made it yet. So um, people ask me that question a lot. He's a great kid and uh, he's not a kid anymore. He's 27, 28, but to me, he's a kid. And uh, yeah, he's going to be, once he gets status, you're going to hear a lot about him. All right. Very good. We'll reach out to him. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on today. Before we wrap up, let us know how we can keep in touch with you or see see your work and support you. Yeah, Monday Q Info, uh, a case of the Golf One, which is one of the worst handles in all of, of golf Twitter. 
uh, kind of just shows that I didn't put any thought into this becoming a thing. So, um, yeah, you can find me on there and most of my stuff. There'll be links or whatever to there. So that's that's where I would go. All right. And so that's it for today's episode of Golf Under Par Podcast. We have all of Ryan's information in the show notes. And thank you so much, Ryan. And to all of you listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource, Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.